Love Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. brand, a new name, and they're trying to tie all these different people together, and these people are coming from Gross Point, these people are coming from all over the place, and not to say that that's wrong, but it, the, the point that's wrong is when they come in from the suburbs to occupy the spaces that we are in currently, only to displace us so they can promote their business as if we was never here. I'm back. Darnell Small, owner of the Tangerine Bistro Lounge, 237 Joseph Campo. 
Uh, as remember, I've been in litigation since uh, last year, uh, April. Uh, I'm back today, May the 17th, 2015, to give you an update. I come down to my place uh, May the 15th about 6 o'clock. I get a call at 530. Uh, there were sheriffs. There were, uh, I'm not exactly sure how many, but there were close to like four Wayne County sheriffs and about eight to ten Detroit police officers around my place. There were two uh, court officers from the Wayne County uh, Court. I get a phone call by one of my employees. We had a birthday party scheduled in here, uh, some executives from MGM, and he said that we have a court order to leave. Called my attorney on the phone as I was proceeding down here about 545, because that must have been 530, 5.45, 6 o'clock, I was on my way down here. My attorney called, we were on a conference call with the individual who works for the establishment to please hand the phone over to the court officer or the sheriff. The court officer refused to talk to him. He just wanted to have a conversation because to my attorney, there must be some type of miscommunication based on the serving of the eviction because it said non-payment of rent, and it went back to 2014. I am not. Um, we have been paid in full, in right now, up to date. Every month we paid the rent, even though we have been interrupted to stop being able to pay the rent by doing business, by people calling the city saying we don't have a license for people, entertainment license or a cabaret for people to perform or dance. We've still been paying the rent. This is about the third time they attempted an emergency eviction and worked this time. The plaintiff, which is Atwater Brewery, but it shows that all the money, it was acknowledged on the paperwork that it's went into escrow. Finalized, we have been in case evaluation by a receiver. The court appointed a receiver, Thomas Ryan, to evaluate the case. They made uh, it's two cases. One was the damage that has been going on to us all year. The second was for the possession. Put an evaluation, he put a number on it, we accept it. Put the number on it, and you have 28 days to pay. And they also put in there, which we kind of disagree, but we agreed to accept. Evacuate the premises in 90 days. We accept it. So we've been approached to our attorney to evacuate immediately, and they would pay the money immediately. And my attorney's position is you're going to pay within 28 days, according to the court move out of the premises, couldn't remove my stuff, I had to leave. They changed the locks, it was embarrassing, it hurt. I have clients that was booked here for this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I had one party with over 100 people standing outside trying to get in, and my staff had to explain it, what can I say? And you know, it was a birthday party for a lady, which I apologize, an executive over at MGM. She decorated the place, wanted to have her, her birthday here, disruption of the business and my credibility. Here was, they came down, they had 5,000 people around the whole area, shut the streets down, uh, blocked all the streets off. It was some event from Ann Arbor. I don't have the exact name of the event, that's fine. I know my neighbors were very disgruntled about it because there was nowhere to park. You had all the streets blocked off, you couldn't park. But I was, my, my issue wasn't not being able to park. My issue was I was shut down, I was embarrassed and I hurt and harmed my guests. Still, I paid the rent in full 
for over a year, no matter how hard the times were when they were trying to disrupt my business by calling the city out to say he can't have a band plan or people can't be in their dance, they sent people in and took it to court if they saw a man or woman dance. And I covered my dance floor. I followed every rule. I covered my floor with furniture so people couldn't dance on the dance floor. It's like you dealing heroin or something when grown people are just, you know, having a good time. I followed the rules. I paid the rent. I even accepted the case evaluation order from the receiver. So now I have an appeal. So now I can't pay my bills. I'm defaulting on people. I have to pay people back. Uh, I had three days booked in here, each day with an average of 150 to 200 people. You do the math. I have large deposits um, from people that I have to refund back, and I know I have damages that I have caught that they have been caused by the disruption disruption of my business. This is all set up to stop me from being able to fight. Unfortunately, some people say different things where they feel, you know, the city racism or whatever it is, I've never said that, but unfortunately I have to say, well, what is it? You, de you decide that. But I'm talking about Atwater Brook. I'm talking about the people who back them up. Well, that's how they control the situation. They can be biased to each party. The money is sitting there. I have been, on the 15th, I was destroyed. I was damaged very bad, but I'm not going to stop fighting. And I understand why I'm fighting. I'm not just fighting for me. I understand in, as a Detroiter, African-American, what I'm fighting for. And I, again, ask you for your prayers and your help. Obviously, as he said, it's not that nobody's mad. We're not mad because people from the suburbs come here, people from Gross Point, people from Ann Arbor, but it's such an entitlement in the way things are being done to people who are already here. And what it does, in addition to what he was saying, the facts, we can come in and take over. You know, we, it's, it's like a hostile, and we're not afraid. We're going to take over in front, of, in front of the people who are already there. Just remember one thing, remember one thing, and one man could change the world. And so whether it is bombing Black Wall Street, whether it is destroying the dignity of those who would seek to better themselves within the bounds of the law, or whether it is intimidating Darnell Small and other African American business owners in the city of Detroit, I want to uh, put everyone on alert and say, wake up. We must fight back. We must organize. Okay, that must be the end of that um, audio here. Okay. Um, today's podcast here on It's My House is titled Gentrification 101. The live stream number is 619-768-2945. Let me uh, give you the It's My House. And we've done uh, probably at least 20 20 shows on gentrification in the past, but we got like over 1,000 1, episodes of It's My House in here, at least 20 of them, not including this one, cover gentrification in some aspects. But today's podcast is titled Gentrification 101. 
Gentrification has absolutely zero to have nothing to do with racism. It has nothing to do with white supremacy. Nothing like that. Get get rid of those definitions. Open up your mind for a few minutes here. It's real simple. Principle number one, if you don't own your neighborhood, you don't own your neighborhood. All right? If you don't own it, I'm not talking about a house in the neighborhood or on the block. If you don't own the neighborhood as an individual or collective, you risk the chance of getting gentrified. It's as simple as that. Now, if you don't want your neighborhood to get gentrified, step number one, own, well, even before, okay, no, no, uh, let's check before the All right. Step number one, get into your psyche. You must own the neighborhood. Every piece of real estate on the block, every store on the block, either you own it or your household own it or you as a collective of neighbors own it and decide to keep it. Now, here's step two. Step two. It's the technical part and the legal part of this, state planning. You must think 100 years, 100 years, 150 plus years ahead of where you are right now. Not only you, but your entire, once again, if it's not you and your entire net, the household that's doing it, it'll be easier if it's a collective of people that do it. So if you and your neighbors get together as a collective and a state plan together and everybody's on the same page and you guys plan out 100 to 150 plus years into the future, okay, on that these homes are going to stay in these families, these businesses are going to stay in these, uh, belong to the block, and then, of course, you have to, you know, do get involved with the uh, uh, the the, mun- the municipal the hell oh the municipal process with this and get it included in city planning. Okay, you've got to do that. Estate planning, estate planning, estate planning is the number one reason why people do not own their neighborhoods. Matter of fact, let me break it down to even a a real more fundamental aspect of this. When two people get together and they a household together, okay, um, do you you long-range plan? Now, I'm not talking about how much money do we have to save to get a down payment for a house or a car. I'm thinking when you two get together, are you playing? Because a relationship like that is a business. Are, if in your family business, because that's what it really is, you might not call it that, but that's what it really is. Are you looking ahead 100 to 150 plus years into the future and then taking the legal steps? 
to protect your interests just on a household basis, on a household basis. Most people don't. And that's why, and then when you got a whole collection of households in a particular neighborhood or in a particular subdivision that nobody is thinking a hundred years into the future. They're just thinking to the next paycheck or to the next 30 days or bills or whatever. When you, or, or maybe the once a year family vacation or something like that. If you're thinking short range like that, you risk living in. Well, first thing you're not. You, probably, you know what? Most people don't even plan on staying in one place that long anyway. Americans, I think, they move once every seven years or something like that. But if you don't, you're going to get slaughtered. Now, there is a one of my favorite places on the planet. It's a community to, uh, by the name of Vauban uh, or Voba the correct pronunciation, but Vauban, I'll Americanize the pronunciation, V-A-U-B-A-N, in Germany. It's right on the edge of the Schwarzwald, and Schwarzwald is Black Forest. It's right on the edge of the Black Forest in Germany, not too far from France, because Vauban is a French name, and of course, Schwarzwald is a German name. But anyway, Vauban is a little community of about... um, a small community of about five or six thousand people, and it's a very sustainable community. But look, there's one aspect about life in Vauban, okay? Because they have no motor cars there, no gasoline cars there. They have a solar garage, but oh, that's a whole nother podcast. Here's the one point I want to talk about when it comes to gentrification 101 in Vauban. Every week, every week. Neighbors get together in their on on their particular block, and they have lunch together or dinner together. They share a meal together on their particular block every week. When you do that, you're building social capital. You're finding out what's going on in the neighborhood. You find out what's going on in people's lives. You're right on the pulse of the neighborhood. And at the same time, you can estate plan. But gentrification comes down to this. If you you don't own the neighborhood, you risk a chance of living in a place that can get gentrified. So on an individual household level and on a collective level, and that that's the challenge, a collective level. Now, if you feel that you can't get together with all your neighbors and put together a, a collective to, to keep the neighborhood intact, then you might want to get together with maybe one or two or three or whatever number like-minded people that when somebody decides to put their house up for sale or business up for sale or whatever, that your business collective purchases that house and or business on that particular block. 
and or subdivision. But let's keep it in simple like those two blocks. If you find it difficult to find that collective of people, then I, what I would suggest is go out to a rural area, not a suburban area, not an ex-suburban area, but a suburban area, and a state plan within your household on what you guys are going to do with your whatever amount of amount of land you decide to buy. It could be a, a acre or two acres of land. But um, once again, you've got to think a hundred to two hundred, a hundred to a hundred fifty plus years into the future. See, and that includes seeing what. You know what what the the local government has in store for the next thirty to fifty years, because typically those plans are a matter of public record, and a lot of times you can go to those those meetings are open to the public, and you can participate in those 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 meetings. So, in particular, if you live in the community, so uh, and then that way you can plan. Including your factor into your plan, rather, what's going on with the the larger community at hand. But that's that's basically it. Gentrification one on one. If you don't own your community, if you don't own your block, you risk the chance of getting gentrified. It has nothing to do with. Uh, I mean, white folks get gentrified. Matter of fact, white folks in the United States probably experience gentrification more than anybody else. So it's it's, it's an economic thing. And the missing factor, and, and you know what's amazing, and if you go after video after video after video on YouTube or something like that, you, I haven't heard the term estate planning. I haven't seen all of the videos, but it's it's rare, if it's ever mentioned at all, estate planning can totally that's that's that that will prevent gentrification. Estate planning. And you've got to think of every type of scenario that can possibly happen. Do you have a plan in place if the neighborhood gets firebombed? Matter of fact, I'll give you a good example. During the, uh, matter of fact, any riot, particularly in contemporary times like the L.A. riots after the Rodney King thing, uh, the Freddie Gray thing in Baltimore, you know, when they were riots, those municipalities, Baltimore, Los Angeles, they already have it in their plan, okay? If this particular situation happens in our particular city, okay, here's what we have in plan to counteract, the, you know, the urban unrest. And then here's our budget. You know, here's our little kitty set aside. So if police cars or any kind of government equipment gets destroyed, you know, we've got money to replace it. And they factor inflation prices into that. And it, you know, and they, they, they keep they don't they don't miss a, a, a beat that way. You've got to do the same thing when it comes to estate planning. You've got to think about can't think about everything, but you gotta think about whatever you can from the absolute worst thing can happen you know, you got to think about maintenance. Oh, man, you know what? Hold it. Let me. 
the, uh, the lawn man's outside. Let me take a musical interlude right here, and then we'll be back.
that's living together as man and wife or whatever. They 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 typically don't think why does a marriage break up after two or three years? Typically there wasn't a plan. Most marriages, at least in Western culture, are based on is based on lust and necessity in some cases. They they need a roommate to help pay the bills. They, there's no estate plan element in it at all. And that's why a lot of those those relationships break up. So, but if you got something in place that's, you know, 150 plus years out, um, you know, it's, it's more apt to stay together. All right, well, since we have no callers that want to chime in on this topic, we'll be back tomorrow for probably an hour. Who knows? It might be two hours tomorrow. We'll probably get a guest in for tomorrow. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day.